Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, I'd like to read three verses to you beginning at the 14th verse. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, I pray that you'll give every soul here a full vision of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by your Spirit that they will love him and want to keep his commandments. Yes to the glory of His name here in this world, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I am tired and sick of the ignorant and arrogant abusing of the words of the Apostle John. If you are looking at sports venues, NFL games, NBA games, you will find the most conspicuous places placards made up with the words on them, John 3, colon, 1, 6. They take it to public venues like that as if it's some magic formula. Maybe we ought to have t-shirts made up with it on the back so that we could sleep in them. It would not help. It is not a magic formula. It is a declaration of true facts. It is not an offer of anything. It is a declarative statement by the Most High God through His Son Jesus Christ to a ruler of the Jews of certain facts that shall not be reduced nor increased in number. Amen. They call this verse the gospel in a nutshell. No one in the Bible called it that. But it does declare to us the gospel that we so much believe. For we believe it is good and glorious news. Not a weak and pitiful offer, but the good and glorious news of what God has done and what Jesus Christ has done. For believers. They yap long and loud about believing on Jesus to be born again. And so they create a new phenomena in the world. Decisional regeneration. That if you'll make a decision, you can be born again, saved from hell, and go to heaven when you die. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter how many nanoseconds your decision takes. It doesn't matter what you were doing before or after. Just make a decision, write it in the flyleaf of your Bible, and you can count on heaven. John 3.16 does not say any such thing. Their decisional regeneration. Our ancestors have died to oppose baptismal regeneration. That is the Catholic Church's doctrine that you are baptized in order to be born again, regenerated, and have eternal life. But our nation now has a similar heresy called decisional regeneration, where if you'll make a decision for Jesus Christ, then because of that, as a result of that, you'll be born again, saved from hell, and have eternal life. I am sick of decisional regeneration. I am sick of hearing about the gospel means of eternal life. I do not bring eternal life to you today. I could not if I wanted to. There's no man alive today that can bring eternal life to you except the man Christ Jesus, and he shall bring it surely to all those that the Father gave him, and he shall not lose one of them. Believe that this morning. Amen. I am sick of the easy believism that infects even us. 
that we think because we believe on Jesus Christ that that is by itself enough for eternal life. Or it is enough of evidence for eternal life. And it is not enough. It is not enough. And I pray God for revival in every one of our hearts that we shall know it is not enough and prove to the world it is not enough by living for Jesus Christ. I want to claim, reclaim these verses for us because they are our verses. They are not theirs. They do not know of what they speak. They are totally ignorant and in their arrogance, they flaunt that word, that verse around. They do not know what it means. They cannot fit it into the testimony of Scripture. And they have created with that verse and their abuse of it a generation of those who think they are saved and aren't even close to the kingdom of God. This is our verse. And we should love it. And we should never shy away from it. And we shouldn't be afraid of it. And we shouldn't always be wanting to excuse it. It is our verse. Our verses. Have you heard the words? I want you to get up out of your seats by the hundreds and come down here with me. Now that he's too old to do it very often, his son and his daughter are doing it for him. The doctor, Billy Graham. And Jesus said to call no man doctor on earth. By the way, that's Matthew 23. But if you heard those words, I want you to get up out of your seats by the hundreds and come down as if some momentary decision is going to give them eternal life and make them saints of God. And so we have a nation, most of which thinks they're all saved because of influential men like Billy Graham who did not know what this verse meant. You probably do not know about Dr. Jack Hiles. Again, I want to remind you, call no man doctor on earth. Matthew 23, who has the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, a suburb of Chicago, who has for many years, until everyone left him, had the largest Sunday school in the world. Now it's very small. But a few years ago, just a few years ago, he wanted to show how much greater he was than the apostles. So he used every trick in the book and every ploy, every extended service from his congregation that he could arrange in order to have 15,000 baptisms on one Sunday. Other ministers, totally intimidated, discouraged by such results in Hammond, Indiana, have followed up on those 15,000 and cannot find no Not one, as Psalm 14 would say, no, not one, living like a Christian today. Just a few years later. Do you know how he did it? By tricking them into an easy decision for heaven. And telling them stories about his mother. And that's a Baptist church. The first Baptist church of Hammond, Indiana. You may never have heard of him. He is one of the most influential pastors in this country. He has more preachers' conferences and preacher schools than any other single man. It's a travesty of the gospel. Right. I want these verses for you, and I want them for me. They're ours, and I want to reclaim them by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Amen. Well, then I can tell you that you have been Amen. and shall be saved Amen. everlastingly. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? We shall find out before the day's over. It is not enough to say yes and amen, although I love the hearty yeses and the hearty amens. It is not enough. We need to live it. Brethren, I have searched John. Searched it. I've searched 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of the Revelation, all of which were written by the Apostle John. And I cannot find a promiscuous offering of eternal life to anyone. I can't find it. I cannot find a sinner's prayer being made anywhere for Jesus to become a Savior. He is the Savior. Amen. I cannot find anywhere sinners 
inviting Jesus into their hearts through a door. Someone will say, well, you haven't read Revelation 3.20 then. Yes, I have read it. You haven't read it. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. But it doesn't say anything about a heart. And it's written to the church of Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3. It's not written to sinners unregenerate on their way to hell. It's written to born-again, believing saints of God who were lacking in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And if you want to invite Him into your hearts for that this morning, even though heart's not mentioned there, if you want to invite Him in this morning, by all means do it. I exhort you in the name of Jesus Christ to open the door to Him and invite Him in. But I do not offer that to sinners because my Jesus Christ is too precious to be drugged before sinners like that. I have read those five books and I have not found any new names being written down in glory. I used to sing about new names being written down in glory. But I could not find in those five books and I have searched them. I've searched the word new. Names written down and glory. And I could not find any new names being written down in glory. All I could find in Revelation 13, 8 and 17, 8 is that the names that are in the book of life were written there from before the foundation of the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for dying for me. I could not find a set of rules or a set of conditions for being born again. I could not find an invitation for sinners to get up by the hundreds and to come down and to get saved. And I could not find the four spiritual laws. I searched four. I searched spiritual. And I searched laws, but I could not find the four spiritual laws. The first of which is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I do not offer that to sinners any more than Noah offered it to those that were trying to scratch their way up the sides of the ark in which he lived with his family. There be many that died in the flood that had gopher wood under their fingernails. But there was no door open to them and there was no lifeline hanging on the side of that ark with a smiley face in the middle of it saying, Smile, God loves you. No one stood in the bridge of that ark passing out the four spiritual laws, the number one most distributed track in this world that states God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Wouldn't that have been the grossest of hypocrisy and the greatest lie? God did not have a wonderful plan for their life. He had a wonderful plan for his own honor and glory Amen. on a world that loved sin. Right. And he still has that same wonderful plan on a world that loves sin. That's right. But thanks be to God, He has delivered us from the wrath to come. Today I want to look at John's writings. I want us to look at John and understand what John said about salvation and reclaim these verses for ourselves. They're ours. And we should not ever, ever be afraid of them. They do not know them. We know them. They are sweet to us, and they should be. Look at John chapter 20, and follow with me this morning as we work ourselves around in the Gospel of John and the first epistle of John. John chapter 20. The first thing we ought to do is determine why John wrote. Because John told us why he wrote. And it's helpful to know why he wrote John chapter 3. Did he write John chapter 3 to give evangelists some tool for mass evangelism in baseball stadiums? No. John chapter 20 and verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Amen. The things that John wrote, 
The miracles that he described were not all of the things that Jesus did, but the ones that John did write, he wrote for a very specific purpose, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And this is not contrary to the rest of Scripture. It's written that we might believe that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is God's Son. And that believing, ye might have life through His name. It does not say in that believing, you might get born again. It doesn't say in that believing, you might get in possession of eternal life. It says you are. To have is to be in possession of eternal life. You say, are you sure that's what it means? Are you sure that He's writing to believers just to tell them that their faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God is proof that they have eternal life? Yes, that is why he's writing. I'll show you in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. 1 John chapter 5. You say, but you're going to another book. Yes, written by the same man, by the inspiration of the same Spirit, using the very same words with a very slight modification to help you if you didn't understand verse 31 from John chapter 20. 1 John 5 and verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Isn't that a wonderful verse? That's why I preach this morning. I only preach to those of you who believe on the name of the Son of God or those of you who don't that will this morning. And I preach to you that believe that you might know that you have eternal life and that you'll believe a little more. That you'll believe a lot more. That we'll all believe more that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life in His name. Not to get it, not to seek it, not to hope for it, but that you'll have it. Because if you believe, you can know that you have eternal life because you wouldn't believe unless He had given you that eternal life. I'll show you that so plainly you'll know it before this day is over, the Lord willing. John does not write the unregenerate with some slick method for tricking them into being born again. He wrote believers. Did you know that there isn't a word of the entire Bible written to the unregenerate? It's written to God's saints. To the saints that are at Rome. To the saints that are at Colossae. To the saints at Philippi. The Word of God is written to them because it is to God's saints that He has chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and saved by the almighty power of Jesus Christ and regenerated by His Holy Ghost that the words of God are sent. They're not sent to the unregenerate to be regenerated. John didn't say anything about writing to offer life to the wicked. He didn't say anything about saving lost souls going to hell or taking Africa for God. He didn't ask you to send a postcard with the date of your decision. Did you notice that? He doesn't offer you any material wealth for believing on Jesus Christ. He doesn't offer that you'll be slain in the Spirit, that you'll have no more problems, that God will send you a word of faith or a laughing revival for believing on Him. He is silent about any decisions for Jesus, and He doesn't teach once saved, always saved. When you let a man get up, and tell people that they can make a simple decision for Jesus, and now you're saved, and once saved, always saved, you have combined two things that you don't have the right to combine that way, and so you send men forth thinking that they have eternal life, regardless of how they live. There's a verse for you in Ezekiel 13, verse 22. We'll not turn to it. But it says, With such preaching, you have made sad the heart of the righteous, and you have strengthened the hands of the wicked, that they will not turn from their wicked way. Right. It is, a, it is a great, deep, horrible, blasphemous heresy to think that Jesus Christ is hanging out willy-nilly for anyone who wants to grab onto Him. And that being for the unregenerate. 
Jesus saved with an everlasting salvation all those without exception that God had given him to save. The first thing we want to look at in the Gospel of John is the condition that John says men are in before Jesus saves them. Let's turn to the first chapter of John. For those of you that might be listening or viewing by tape, either audio tape or videotape, I pray that you'll be fair enough and sincere enough to listen to all of this before you turn it off. And see if it does not ring true with your heart and with the testimony of Scripture what we're about to say in the interpretation that we put on John 3.16. In John chapter 1, I read in verse 4 that in the Word of God, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. His light is the basis of His eternal life. He shined in this world, and the darkness comprehended it not. To comprehend something, it means to gather it in or to include it. And when we speak of it mentally, we mean to gather in or to include something mentally. They could not gather it in mentally because they had no capacity for it. There was no heart for it. It, They did not comprehend that the Son of God was here. The eternal life of the Word made flesh. That's where the, the book of John begins with. The darkness comprehended it not. What will you do? Will you go out into that darkness and by some sleight of hand or sleight of tongue convince those in darkness to comprehend what they cannot comprehend? Turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. How do you reason? Or how do you persuade a man that cannot comprehend? You cannot. So what does John say? Look at John chapter 3. Jesus said in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now instead of reading that verse as, don't you all want to be born again this morning? Let's read it as, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Until you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. Imagine the kingdom of God to be whatever you will. You can't see it until you're born again. But what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is all the works and the events and the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if I by the finger of God cast out devils, then no doubt the kingdom of God is coming to you. But unless you are born again, you cannot see that kingdom. How will then you persuade a man to believe in something that he cannot see? And yet they're all doing it, aren't they? Because none of them see, and none of them truly believe, except a few poor souls that are left with that heresy of no comfort. If you can't see it, how are you going to enter it? If you can't see it, how will you believe it? How can I persuade a man that does not see something? Thankfully, we have texts. Well, I said I wouldn't go anywhere but John. But you know, in Hebrews, it says, but we see Jesus. Amen. Do you know how we see him? Because he has opened our eyes. Right. And he's given us life. There's blood flowing in the membranes of our eyes by the everlasting work of God. That's why we see Jesus. We would not see him unless we were born again. You wouldn't see a thing about him. Don't ever let anyone take you to John 3.3. 3. Don't listen to someone speaking John 3.3. 3. If they are setting forth John 3.3 3 as a condition for something you're supposed to do, they act like being born again is just as e- the easiest thing in the whole world. A, a sinner that's dead. That's why he needs to be born again, wouldn't you say? That's why Jesus would call it born again. You need to be born again because the first life you have is not enough. And so all you have to do is decide that right now you want to be born the second time. How much did you decide the first time? Can you even remember your first year? 
the nine months in your mother's womb? The second year, can you even recall any of it? What about the decision for you to be born? We are looking at what John has to say about the condition of man before God saves him. And we are limiting ourselves to the gospel of John and the epistles of John. If a man who doesn't have eternal life cannot see the kingdom of God, what will you do for him? What will you do for him? What will I do for him? Nothing. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. All you have by your first birth is flesh. The Bible does not have anything positive to say about your flesh, right. except that he's going to destroy it. Amen. That's positive, and are you thankful for that? Amen. I am. I'm looking forward to that. That is a very positive statement. I will burn away your flesh until all that you have left is perfectly holy in my presence. For nothing that defiles shall enter in there. Same man wrote that too. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. They are two completely different, unrelated transactions, events, that God must work. What will a man do in the flesh in order to be a man in the spirit? That's what it would take. And they're totally separate. The Bible tells us they're they're at constant conflict with each other. Look at chapter 5. John chapter 5. What is the condition of man so that he needs to be saved? Before he's saved, what does man look like? I read in John 5 and verse 25, and there'll be opportunities to come back to some of these verses before the day's over. So don't be disappointed if I don't get everything out of it this pass. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, John 5, 25, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. The dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. The dead. What I want you to see from this place is that John himself, and I'm not referring to the Apostle Paul, but this is John himself saying that the dead need to hear the life-giving voice of the Son of God. What can you do for yourself when you're dead? They'll say all you have to do is look at Jesus like, the, like those in the wilderness looked at the brass serpent. Let me remind you something about the brass serpent. No one looked at the brass serpent and received life. No one. That's right. All that God had purposed to destroy by fiery serpents were already dead, and the brass serpent saved not one of them. Everyone else was saved by the brass serpent because they were already alive by the grace of God. Right. They're the only ones that looked. What a travesty. Jesus said, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, not to describe how men are saved by what they do or fulfilling conditions, because even the condition won't hold. Right but to describe that he would be up on a tree to die for our sins. And he was laying some incredible truth on a ruler of the Jews who all his life had been taught that it was offering animal sacrifices that would save from sin. And he knew that it wasn't enough. And so Jesus was telling him the glorious truth of the gospel that the Son of Man, the man that was sitting there talking to him in the night, would be up on a tree and by that sacrificial death would save all believers. Notice here in 525, though, that we're in a state of death. We come over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 63. Jesus said, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. When something quickens, it means it makes it alive. It is the Spirit that maketh alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Again, another statement supporting 525 that men are dead in the flesh. And the words that Jesus Christ speaks, which are spirit and are life, he quickens and he's able to make alive. But prior to that work, you're dead. What decision will you get out of a dead man? 
a dead decision, an empty one, a worthless one, and yet they clamor for it all the time. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Here the Jews, you ought to read the heavy exchange between the Jews and Jesus Christ in John chapter 8. If you want to know the Son of God and what He was like, He was gracious when He was to be gracious. But did salt ever season His conversation? Try John chapter 8 on for size sometime. It's beautiful. They're claiming that they have Abraham to their father, and by being Abraham's descendants, that means they're automatically God's children and fit and bound for heaven. And Jesus said to them in verse 42, and there's more that could be read, but I don't, ha- I don't want to take too much time on this passage. John 8, 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words, Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. There is a category of men that are of the devil himself. They are the children of the devil by description of Jesus Christ. And in that condition, they cannot even hear. Amen. How will you convince through preaching? Because preaching is from the voice of one to the ears of others. How will you convince them to hear when they can't hear? How will you convince them to understand when they can't even get started by hearing? Because you're of your father the devil. There needs to be a greater transaction made by the stronger man who is able to deliver them from the kingdom of darkness and translate them by his almighty power into the kingdom of his own dear son. Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We are looking at how John himself, not Paul, John. Let's go to the apostle of love, they say. John didn't love any more than Paul did. In fact, Paul loved more than John did. Can I prove that? I labored more abundantly than they all. And why did Paul outlabor John? Because he loved Jesus Christ more than John did. Why? Because Jesus Christ saved Paul from more than he saved John from. Right. Very simple. Go read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in light of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Don't ever be mistaken by these ideas about the writers of Scripture. Paul was more zealous as an apostle than any of them. John 10, verse 26. But ye believe not, Jesus said to the Jews, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, And I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. And we'll get to the rest of that before this day's over. But right now we just want to look and see how does John describe the condition of men. He describes some as being sheep and some as not being sheep. Therefore he is putting some in a category of some other animal. And we know from Scripture that Jesus on the, in the last day will divide the sheep from the goats. And the sheep he'll put at his right hand, the goats at his left hand. And if a man doesn't believe the gospel, it's because he is not one of Christ's sheep. Right. If you believe, it's because you are one of his sheep. Amen. But a great transaction had to take place for you to be the sheep of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not by your little decision that I don't like being a goat anymore. The goats don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. They crucified him. John chapter 10. Well, if man is in a condition where he cannot comprehend light, he cannot see, he's dead. He's not the sheep of Christ. What in the world can he do? 
He can't do a thing for himself. Right. He needs a Savior. Amen. And isn't that what the word means? A Savior? Someone that will deliver you from evil? Someone that will save you from trouble? And in this case, eternal condemnation and hell? That's what a Savior is. A Savior is not someone offering it. Would you call him a Savior who stood in the shore and said, Swim to shore, and I'll save you from drowning? Would you call him a Savior? No. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. But to tell a man to see and to believe on the kingdom of Christ when he cannot comprehend it nor see it, you're asking that man who's drowning to swim to shore. Let's look next. That if man is in that condition, who does get saved? If God were to leave man in that condition, not comprehending, not seeing, dead, how many would be saved? None. None. So let's look at how they are saved and see how many of them are saved and how John describes those that are saved. Look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me, all that the Father giveth me, all that the Father giveth me? Amen. Why don't I see John 6, 47 in an NBA arena? All that the Father giveth me. That is the gift of eternal life. Jesus is not offering eternal life to anyone. God gave us to Jesus Christ. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all those who want to freely take of my offer of eternal life, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Is verse 40 any more difficult than verse 39? Not at all, if you just heard what I read about the condition of man, for what man would ever believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but one that God has already saved. And we'll see that again in just a few minutes. But look at verse 39. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Is Jesus Christ coming back to this earth as a triumphant king, executing vengeance and wrath on the wicked, or is he coming back as a pitiful loser, weeping because the wicked wouldn't let him save them? The Jesus Christ, taught by everyone that uses John 3.16 as a magic formula, is a weak Jesus Christ who will come back not in triumphant victory, but in miserable defeat because he did not accomplish anything. All those that he loved and died for, the only difference is what they did for themselves. For all those in hell... He loved and died for them as much as those that will make it to heaven. That is a miserable defeat. Miserable defeat. A weeping Savior. I read nothing about Jesus weeping. I read nothing about Him being a loser. I read about Him being absolutely and completely and totally and finally and everlastingly victorious. Amen. And didn't He say that right here? I shall lose none of them. Right I will raise them up again at the last day. All that the Father giveth me. Isn't that glorious? That is a sure salvation. Everyone that God my Father sent me into this world to die for shall be everlastingly saved. I will not lose one of them. There isn't a person in hell that Jesus Christ died for. There isn't a person in hell that Jesus Christ tried to save. For my Savior never tried to save anyone. My Savior came into this world to save sinners, and He did it. 
And he will say to God his Father in Hebrews chapter 2, Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me, I shall lose none of them. Salvation is by the choice of God the Father. And that is taught in the book of John. And yet they go into John and pull out 3.16 and think that they can offer my Savior's salvation promiscuously like the work of a whore. Jesus Christ isn't offered to anyone. That salvation that he finished on the cross of Calvary, he finished and he will raise up everyone that he died for. Look at John chapter 10. Why don't they ever want to preach on that text? All the Father giveth me shall come to me. Do you know how many souls will be in heaven because of the work of missionaries and preachers? None. None. Because Jesus is our Savior. Amen. We shouldn't be putting any attention, weight, emphasis anywhere else but on Him. Right. In John chapter 10, I read in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Amen. Will Jesus say to many in the last day, I never knew you? Amen. They must not be his sheep because he knows his sheep. Right. He's known them from everlasting. He had your name written down before your great-grandfather thought there might be a name like that. Right. I am the good shepherd, know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. That is a glorious text. If we didn't have this text, we're lost. John's writing to Jews. He was a minister to the circumcision. But this verse describes Gentiles being brought in to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Other sheep I have, which are not of this Jewish fold. Them also I will try to bring. Them also I must bring. And they might hear my voice. They shall hear my voice. And there might be one fold. There shall be one fold and one shepherd, even the Lord Jesus Christ. The point being, for whom did Jesus Christ lay down his life and save? All those that the Father gave him, they are his sheep. And Jesus Christ was commissioned, Son, go and deliver my lost sheep. And Jesus said, I must do it, I will do it, and I shall not lose one of them. It is an everlasting covenant between God the Father and his Son Jesus Christ for the redemption of your souls, and that redemption is precious, and it ceaseth forever. And there isn't one loss. And if you don't love him this morning... You deserve everything that he has waiting in store for you when he returns to this earth. Look at verse 27. Again, same chapter, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, And that's the point where after which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The covenant of redemption. Anyone who ever receives eternal life received it because God gave that person to the Son to die for as one of his sheep. And he shall surely be saved by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice that even in the book of John, we have that sovereign, humbling doctrine of election taught so clearly. My Father, which gave them me. Look at chapter 17. Chapter 17. The first verse I read, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, The hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. This is a divine transaction. 
God the Father gave to the Lord Jesus Christ the souls to be saved. And he gave Jesus Christ the authority and the power to make that discriminating choice in mankind. Amen. The humbling doctrine of election. You say, but I don't know if I'm elect or not. I have an answer for you this morning, brethren. And it's what I want to preach until I get choked out of this world and get to go to heaven. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the command of the gospel. To believe on Him, because it's by believing on Him that you can know that you have eternal life. Amen. And if you already believe this morning, let's believe more Amen. and love Him more for what He's done for us. That He chose us. If God loved everyone equally, those in heaven and those in hell, what does His love mean? Nothing. But if His love meant that He assigned you by name to the Lord Jesus Christ to come into this world and redeem. Isn't that everything? Isn't that the love of a true lover? Amen. If God is God, then His love should be absolutely inviolate. It sh you should never be able to be separated from His love. But most have been separated from the love of the God of this world that is preached everywhere. Do you see? Do you follow that? Amen. We shall never be separated from the love of God our Father, because Jesus Christ will certainly die for all, the, all those that God loved. In John 17, we read that the Lord, that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ had given our Lord Jesus Christ power over all flesh, that He would certainly redeem and give eternal life to all those that God had given Him. So we have seen that man is unable to save himself. He cannot even see, comprehend. He is dead. We have seen that those that are saved are those given to Jesus Christ in a covenant transaction by God his Father, and he would certainly save them and not lose a single one of them. Right. But they need to be born again. We need to see in the Word of God that we're told how men are born again, Amen. and that it is by the sovereign operation of God without any cooperation on the part of man. You don't do anything to assist and being born again. Look at John chapter 1. Yep. John chapter 1. There are in excess of 400 Baptist pulpits in our county this morning. But you're in a unique one. You're in a unique church. Amen. Do you know that? Yeah. Only one place that's hearing this this morning. The rest of them are getting these little pleading tones off of an organ to try to get to squeeze someone down that aisle with all the force, coercion, in invitation, seduction that can be raised to get a momentary decision out of them in the belief, falsely held, the false belief, the heresy, that by making a decision you can be born again. Here's the word of God, John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Now the first part of that verse starts out in the past tense because he is writing history. Jesus Christ came into the world and was rejected. Verse 11 tells us that he came unto his own and his own received him not. That is a past tense historical statement of fact about the reception Jesus Christ received in this world. So he is in the past tense as he begins verse 12. But as many as received him... But as many back there where no one else was receiving him, but some did, but as many as received him, to them gave he power, the authority, the right. To them gave he the right to become the sons of God. Even, now here we have the explanation as he moves into the doctrine, even to them that believe, present tense on his name. Because remember, why is he writing? He's writing to believers so that they might know that they have eternal life. And so he moves, those that received him were given the right to become the sons of God. And what did they do? They believe, present tense, there is no D on that word, they believe in his name. Verse 12. And so we go to verse 13. 
because there is no period at the end of verse 12. But if you ever went to their assemblies, and if you ever heard them preach, you would think there was a period there, wouldn't you? They only quote John 1, 12. Mm -hmm. But verse 13 explains John 1, 12, which were born. How do you become a son of God? By being born of God. And how were they born of God? Which were born not of blood. You Jews who are trusting in your physical relationship to Abraham, it's cut out. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. You who believe in decisional regeneration regeneration from a Billy Graham crusade, you're cut out. Nor the will of man. You who believe in baptismal regeneration because your godparents assisted your parents in taking you to some cathedral when you were a little baby and pouring water in the form of a cross on your forehead, you're cut out. There is not the will of a man, nor the will of the flesh, nor blood involved in being born again. It is by the sovereign operation of God. And it says that in the last part of verse 13, but of God. If a man is born again, it is of God. If a man is not born again, it is of God. You do not make that difference. We do not believe in decisional regeneration. We believe in God having chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world that He executed regeneration upon us that made us the sons of God. And because of that, we believe on His name. Amen. 3.8 Chapter 3 Nicodemus Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, a believer. He craved the body of Jesus Christ from Pilate. Right. I like that word when it comes to my Savior, don't you? Amen. He craved. Ah, you got to read your Bible to find those little jewels. You say, that's, so, that's a jewel to me. Amen. I just lay there and I pull it out and I shine it up and I look at it. He craved the body of Jesus. Right. Is that a man who loves Jesus Christ? Amen. Wow. You say, is that what you do? That's what I do. Amen. And I want to do a whole lot more of it. Right. John 3.8. Let's, before I get to 3.8, poor Nicodemus. He'd been to seminary, which hindered him greatly. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is reeling back through theology 604, 503, 402, all the way back to 101. He'd have been a graduate. I mean, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, graduate school. We got to reel all the way back. He's going all the way back to his catechism. Except a man be born again. He says, how can a man when he is old get back into his mother's womb? That's what you get when you go to seminary. But if you go to Jesus' feet, you know, would you like to have seen an exchange between Martha or Mary and Nicodemus? I pull for the women. They hadn't been to seminary, but they'd sat at the feet of Jesus. And I hope that's where we're sitting this morning. He says, how does a man, when he's old, get back into his mother's womb? And Jesus said again in verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He gets a little plainer. But the Campbellites sure don't think it's much plainer because they think you've got to be baptized in order to be born again because the word water's there. But the word water is simply an emblem in the Bible of the Holy Ghost. You say, prove that. How about Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the the what? The washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So it's not redundant to say washing and Holy Ghost in the same verse. No, it's not at all. Because the Holy Ghost renews us by washing us completely. And he is that water. John chapter 7, verse 39, Jesus said, He that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This is a spiritual birth. It's of God. If there's baptism in John 3, 5 at all, then John 1, 13 has been overthrown. John 1, 13 said, It is not the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. In baptism you have two operating, the will of the flesh and the will of man. The will of the flesh is the one being baptized. I want to be born again. The will of man is the one doing the baptizing. I want you to be born again. And John 1, 13 cuts them both out. Amen. The water in John 3, 5 is not the water of baptism. And if you look in your center column reference and it says Mark 16, 16, it's a bad cross-reference. 
I love to see the studious ones. <laughs> he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Is not a good cross-reference for John 3, 5. And here Jesus goes on and explains to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I said unto thee, I know you don't know much because you haven't been taught. And he's saying that to a doctor. I know that you don't know much. But that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now he did not say, thou must be born again. He said, ye. He is referring to any Jew that will ever be saved must be born again. Always when you read your Bible, look for thou's and these are very, very important. And when someone says we can take them away to update our Bibles and make our Bibles better, they are totally wrong. Right. Ye is a plural pronoun. He is not speaking of Nicodemus. He is speaking of the Jews. Right. Ye must be born again. For anyone to see or to enter the kingdom of God, they must be born again. He is giving Nicodemus truth about salvation in general. He's not telling Nicodemus to get down on his knees and offer the sinner's prayer in order for Nicodemus to be born again. Right. For all the evidence in the world, Nicodemus is already born again. Yes. Why in the world was he meeting with Jesus Christ when the others wanted to kill him? Amen. Verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Where does the wind blow? Wherever it wants to. Wherever it wants to. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. Right. Whence does not mean when. Whence means from where. From what cause, from what origin. It means from where. You cannot tell from where the wind comes, and you can't tell where the wind goes. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. You have no influence, control, or direction over it at all. Amen. It is just like the wind. You can set your 20-inch fan out in the middle of your street by your house if you want to, but I don't think your neighbors are going to call it wind. When God chooses to blow His wind, you don't have to wonder about it, do you? This month's issue of Reader's Digest has a great article in there about some tornadoes in Tennessee. 240 miles an hour. What can 240 mile an hour wind do? It can take an I-beam out of a building, straighten it up in the air, and drive it 10 feet deep into the ground. It can take bits of straw and drive it through telephone posts. That's wind. Where does it come from? If they knew, they'd get rid of it, wouldn't they? Where does it go? If they knew, they'd send it out to the ocean, wouldn't they? All that we know about it is, it's here. Right. And if you believe, do you know what you know about your, the fact that you're born again? That you are. Right. Amen. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. There are no exceptions to that. And yet they're trying to put their 20-inch fans out in the street and make wind. The wind blows where it listeth, wherever it wants to, and that is the Spirit of God. And where does the Spirit of God want to blow? The Spirit of God wants to blow on everyone that God gave Jesus Christ to die for, that they might receive everlasting life. And every single one of them will be born again, and he shall lose not one of them. Amen. John chapter 5. We were here already. But what we're looking at is the fact, from John, we want to prove that when a man's born again, He's born again with a sovereign power of God without man cooperating at all. Right. John 5, 25, Verily, verily, I say unto you. I wonder why Jesus had to put verily, verily, I say unto you in front of most of these passages. Do you, if, can you Amen. speculate? Because they were going to be ignored. Verily, verily, I say unto you. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Amen. That is regeneration. That is one of the plainest texts about regeneration in the whole Bible. Amen. That is how a man is born again. Jesus Christ speaks by His voice and says, Live! And I want to tell you something. I don't care how many days you've been in the tomb. I don't care how, how, many, how many yards are in the great grave clothes that wrap you up, you will come forth when Jesus Christ says live. Amen. You say what the verse says, they that hear shall live. It looks like it's dependent upon the sinner hearing. Jesus Christ is going to use his voice twice. Right. 
to give you life? This is called the first resurrection. The second resurrection is when he's going to raise your body from the grave. Right. And let's look at the words there. Verse 28. Marvel not at this, what I just read to you. Marvel not at this, that I'm able to give spiritual life by my voice. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now they hear his voice also. Do you think those that are coming out to the resurrection of damnation are thinking about hearing his voice? Are thinking about responding to his voice? Are participating in obeying his voice? Or is that voice a command for them to come out and every single one of them will come out whether they want to or not? The point being, when you're in the grave, you don't want to or not. You're dead. In fact, you're dust. But Jesus Christ can say, live. And every soul will come out of the grave, the elect and the non-elect, those chosen and those chosen and those reprobated will all come out together. Amen. The one to the resurrection of life and the other to the resurrection of damnation. But I want you to see where it comes from. It is the voice of the Son of God. The voice of the Son of God. Now, if I get in this pulpit this morning and say anything that even smacks or gets close to the fact that by my preaching, someone might be born again this morning, I am committing blasphemy by claiming to myself power that belongs to only one man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ calls men into existence, into life. Spiritually, when they're born again, and in the last day in the resurrection of their bodies. And if you go look at the fruits of all those men who think that they have preached and men have been born again, it should tell you enough, shouldn't it? Is our nation better for the evangelists that we've had for the last 50 years? No. Our nation's going down the tubes in the face of most of the nation. Back in the days of Jimmy Carter, who took the presidency of this country, claiming that he was born again, and Billy Graham wrote his book, How to Be Born Again, and Gallup poll showed that about half of Americans thought they were all born again, country continues to go down because they're basing their concept and idea of that on a decision they made. The decision that was made is God chose us. Another decision that was made was Jesus Christ says, it is time. And he says, live. And we live. Look at chapter 6. What we are looking at now in the Gospel of John is to see that men are born again apart from any cooperation of their own, purely, only by the sovereign, ruling power of God, without their assistance, direction, help, cooperation, agreement, strictly by His power alone. John chapter 6, the Jews are murmuring, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph the carpenter? Who does he think he is talking like this? Jesus said in verse 43, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me. That's to believe on him. You come to Jesus when you believe on him. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. All those that Jesus Christ is going to raise up at the last day, When they come to Jesus Christ, they come because the Father drew them. This is John also. But I don't see John 6.44 in very many NFL stadiums. And I don't hear it preached in very many sermons. And I don't ever hear anyone calling it the gospel in a nutshell, though it is. No man can come to me. No man can come to me. Except the Father which hath sent me, draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now when God Almighty draws someone, do you think he's just doing this? Or do you think it's more like this? Thank you, Lord, for drawing me. If he would have said this, and for those of you listening to audio tape, I'm sorry. I'm using my finger to motion for someone to come toward me. 
If he said that, how many would ever be born again or come to Christ? None. He has to draw us against our will because the Bible tells us that our will is at enmity against God. Isn't that wonderful that he did that? Why did he save any of us? For his own glory. That he might lift it up to the entire universe and show what a savior he is and how much love he has within his being and how much grace he has within his being and mercy. He had to save us against our wills, not because of our wills. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Note that was taught in the Old Testament. That God would teach men to come to him and would give them life by teaching them in their hearts. In the Old Testament it was taught. Nicodemus and the others did not know it until Jesus opened their understanding. I have much more to say today. And yet it is time to close this morning. Brethren, the gospel of John is ours. It is not theirs. When you go into the gospel of John, you see a different side of Jesus Christ presented from the other three gospels. The other three gospels, not that he's different, but you see a different perspective of him. The other three Gospels are more historical and narrative in their accounts of his life. More miracles. Very few in the Gospel of John. Mm -hmm. But what you see in in the Gospel of John are his words. His doctrine and his teaching about salvation. And so they want to run into John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, and pull them out and put them on signs. We'll run into John ourselves and find out what he tells us there. But brethren, he said, I have written unto you these things that ye might know that ye have eternal life. And I've written them to you that believe, that ye might believe on the name of the Son of God. If you want to know if you have eternal life, then believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And if you want to know that your belief is sincere, Jesus would say, if you love me, keep my commandments. That is the proof of our eternal life. For John would write, if ye know that he is righteous... Ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And we'll look at all that this evening and see the glory in the fact that the gospel comes to us and tells us of what God has done for us by his grace and what we can do to assure our hearts before him so that we can face death, trouble, sin, guilt with great peace and confidence knowing that Jesus Christ has saved us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.